This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Joy Podcasts, where you want them, when you want them. Yes, where you want them, and you do want them. Why wouldn't you want them? Fantastic. Our next guest is uh, Stephen Sherlock from the Department of Political and Social Change at the Coral Bell <coughs> School of Asia Pacific Affairs. And we want to talk about the Indonesian election. Uh, good morning, Stephen. We have we have a result, don't we, in the presidential election in Indonesia? Well, we do, Maka. We don't have an official result, but all of the polling organisations yeah. are giving us uh, pretty much similar results and they're... Very reliable. So <clears throat> Indonesia has a system where you had to get 50% of the vote plus one uh, yep. for there not to be a runoff, and it looks like that is the case. So let's move to the person who is likely to be the new president of Indonesia and the person who's likely to be vice president of Indonesia. What does this hold for, you know, what is the outlook for democracy in Indonesia, but also, what does this mean to our to Australia's relationship with Indonesia? How does it how's it going to impact? Right. Well, there's a lot of questions yeah. there. But let's try to unpack them uh, one by one. Well, first of all, um, it's important, as you as your question suggested, to talk a little bit about the person who's going to be president yeah. in October, which is when the president is always sworn in, and who will be vice president, because both of them are it's interesting. Mm. Let's begin with the vice president first, not because it's particularly important office, uh, that the president can really make one of the, of the vice presidential office that he wants to, but it's more because it's an interesting story there. And the person who will become um, vice president by the name of Gibran, he is actually the son of the current president of Indonesia, Joko Widodo, yeah. usually known as Jokowi, and I'll refer to him as Jokowi. And the reason that he is there is because Jokowi, the current president, has really done a deal with Prabowo. And even though Prabowo, uh, the current president, Jokowi, is from a completely different party, he did not support the candidate of his own party, but rather stitched up a deal with Prabowo where his son would become the vice presidential candidate, which meant that a large part of the support for the mm. current president, Jokowi, went away from his own party into the support uh, for Prabowo. And because Jokowi has been a very, very popular president, that was a really significant um, move, and it was crucial for Propolo getting the very highest um, support that he did get of up to 58%. Can I just, so that's the vice just say there, in yep. terms of the vice, the vice president, you know, if we go back to 1997, no one took much notice who the vice president of Indonesia was until Suharto fell on his sword and uh, Habibi became president and did some stuff that, you know, Suharto... You know, would not have done. So, you know, I would say that who is the vice president is important should they become president. But I think what's more important is is how the new president effectively was elected 
not as a result of his own popularity, but the, the, the transferred popularity of the, of the vice president's father, the current president. I would say as a, as a result of the combination of his yeah. own popularity plus yeah. the popularity of Jokowi, because uh, we shouldn't discount the fact that he's also a very prominent figure uh, himself. But you're absolutely right. Um, what you're saying about uh, Habibi and uh, Suharto, but Habibi only became important because Suharto uh, resigned. Yeah. And before that, Habibi was not a, at all an important figure. And it will be interesting to see uh, whether or not Prabowo decides to give uh, Gibran, the vice president, significant um, powers, significant role in the government, or decides to marginalise him. And if he does decide to marginalise him, Jokowi is likely to be quite annoyed. So it will be interesting to see uh, how that relationship works out. Do you think, Stephen, that he is likely to give his vice president some some power or certainly uh, allow him to have a profile? Because otherwise he may well only be a one-term president because that support will won't transfer, although, you know, it's a long time to the next election, isn't it? Well, he certainly has an incentive to give the Vice President a, a high profile because in that way he's maintaining the support of what will be ex-President uh, Jacobi. So quite possibly he will, but if we start talking about the the character of incoming President Prabowo himself, mm. there's a lot of question marks, and this is one of the question marks. And these, these question marks are there because he's a very mercurial sort of character. In the 2014 and 2019 elections, when he also ran against Jokowi, uh, he led very divisive, bitterly fought campaigns yes. on the basis that we in the West would call identity politics. Yeah. In the case of Indonesia, this is really around the question of that part of Indonesian society thinks Islam should play a greater role in the society, probably a minority current, and the majority current who really stresses the fact that Indonesia is a plural society, a diverse society, and that they need to maintain um, tolerance to all cultures and religions. So... Prabowo ran these very bitterly fought campaigns trying to mobilise a right-wing Islamist sort of yeah. vote. But after losing that very divisive election in 2019, what happened? Jokowi, as president, brought him into the tent yes. and said, hey, why don't you become defence minister in my cabinet? And as a result of that... Uh, Prabowo was really defanged as an opposition sort of figure and he became part of Jokowi's cabinet. And it was that really that experience which laid the basis for their current alliance. But the big question is, was he just sort of pretending during mm. all this time, pretending to be a, uh, a reasonable and moderate figure? And Prabowo has got a very checkered past uh, involvement in human rights abuses when he was a general yes. and a reputation from being very short-tempered and um, going off on flights of fancy without thinking about policy initiatives. So will we see this moderate, in inverted commas, figure that we've seen in the last five years or will 
this old authoritarian ex-general for Orwell emerge from the wings. I'll go with the old authoritarian, authoritarian ex-general. Um, <laughs> Maybe you're right, Maka. Look, it's not what I not what I want. I mean, Indonesia is, I think, the second or it was not the first, but the second largest democracy in the world. Is that right? It's the third largest third. democracy. Okay, third, okay. You know, yeah. And they're our near neighbour, and the relationship Australia has with them is very important, and the relationship that Indonesia has with Australia is very important. So what do you see on the horizon there, Stephen? Is it uh, difficult, difficult sailing, do you think? Not necessarily, uh, but once again, it's a series of, of question marks here. Now, uh, Provolo is very much a nationalist. Yeah. And he sees himself and presents himself as somebody who wants to uh, enforce Indonesia's political profile in the region, which might sound as though it's a bit dangerous for Australia, but that's not necessarily the case because Indonesia, like Australia, for example, has to maintain that very delicate balance between China and the United States. They're very much in the same sort of situation that we in Australia are. In. And it could quite possibly be that he, for example, um, in his relationship with China, takes a position that may be supportive of Australia's attempts to try to uh, balance the influence of China. And it, it could mean that he implicitly is working in the same sort of way as Australia wants to work. I'm not suggesting there's going to be any sort of formal alliance or anything, but it may actually work out to Australia's advantage or at least not to our disadvantage. Not to our disadvantage, yeah. Yes. I, I think, you know, one of the other challenges is, you know, a lot of the things that uh, he said before in previous elections, um, you know, really play to a particular section of the community or of the Indonesian community, certainly for the LGBTQI community, this new president is not a friend. Like, I, I'm not putting him in the in the category of being an absolute enemy, but he's a long way from being a friend of, of my community. But also, Indeed. you know, he's about, you know, at the end of the day, he's been elected. He can now pretty much, you know, once he's confirmed, but... You know, there's not a lot of breaks on him, is there, other than his vice president, potentially? There are not a lot of constitutional breaks on mm. his position, <clears throat> excuse me, but the way Indonesian politics works means that there are a lot of political constraints that he has to deal with. Now, his party, for example, even though he's, he resoundingly, even landslide, uh, had victory, <clears throat> he, his party in parliament only got about 13% of the vote. Yes, yeah. Now, he doesn't depend on parliamentary support to stay in power. It's not a parliamentary system like ours. But he does depend on uh, having something like a secure majority in parliament uh, so that he doesn't have a troublesome parliament, a parliament that can make could make life very difficult for him as president, um, bringing up, investigating any sorts of... Um, scandals that might develop in his government or trying to dig up dirt on his government, making trouble for him. 
Yeah. That's what parliaments often in Indonesia do, or of course also making it difficult for him to have his legislation passed. So he's got to be able to build alliances amongst the other political parties. And traditionally the way in which presidents have done that in Indonesia is through getting most of the parties around into the cabinet, giving seats to all of the other, not necessarily all of the other, but a great majority of the other parties. But all of that, of course, means not upsetting them. He has to maintain good relationships with them. So that's the main um, check and balance on his power. Not a constitutional one, but um, one that relates to the way politics are usually done in Indonesia. The, the, the traditional approach really is what they call, what is, we would call consensus politics, trying to get everybody yes. to agree. Uh, otherwise, any powerful players that are left outside the decision-making process will always try to make trouble. They will. And you don't want to ha- that to happen if you're president. Look, unfortunately, Stephen, we're out of time, but I'd like to get you back uh, closer to when he's uh, actually inaugurated. Um and, you know, to talk about what this means for Indonesia, what it means for Australia, it's a hugely important subject. Um, yes, so thank you so much for your time today. I'm sorry we, we've had to cut a little bit short. Um, but we'll definitely have you back in the near future. I'd love to talk to you again. Thank you very much, Mac. I've just uh, enjoyed the discussion. A pleasure. You are on Saturday Magazine, Joy 94.9, with Macca, Paul and Liam. Stay with us. Another message or something, then news. Cheers. Well, you're only listening to it for about another 34 seconds. Uh, I want to thank Zoe Daniel, MP, independent MP for Goldstein, Anna Brown from Equality Australia, Dr. Sarah McCriskey from uh, uh, Victoria University on Woke Publishing. Great discussion. Max Pick uh, from uh, No Milk in My Tea. Paul Gover talking emission standards. And Stephen Sherlock uh, speaking to us about the Indonesian elections. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Thank you, listeners. Pleasure. Uh, It's always a great pleasure to do Saturday Magazine. Paul is back next week, I hope, I think, from Japan. If not, anyway, here's the news and have a lovely day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.